I, I really do think as women, we tend to, in general, we tend to put everybody else before ourselves. And a lot of, you know, the younger boomers are doing, you know, that sandwich generation thing that's going on. Some of the older boomers are in retirement or settling into retirement. And we still are always putting other people ahead of ourselves. And I really think the biggest thing that I can tell you is that money is a is self-care. And if you can use money to make sure that you're doing the right thing for you, you will do much better. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer women. Are we wise women? Are we mavens? Are we crones? Hell yeah. And we're also still curious, fun-loving, interesting, the list goes on. This podcast is for you. My guests are folk who have a message for our demographic. And if you want to hear a specific message, let me know and I'll find the guests. This podcast is also a conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. I try and let my guests have the greater say, and usually we fit in a good laugh or two. Listen in now to today's guest. Money, such an emotional subject. Each one of us has a different reaction to the discussion. I remember a cartoon from many years ago. It was a group of women in an office setting. A looked at B and said, how can she afford those beautiful clothes? B looked at C and said, she's off on another exotic holiday. How can she afford that? C looked at D and said, boy, I'd love to drive a car like hers. How can she afford it? And D looked at A and said, how can she afford three, three children working here? Each of us have a different view of money and what to spend it on. But there is a bottom line. We need to eat and we need shelter. With a little bit of luck, we have enough money for more than just that. And there'll come a day when we are no longer earning. In Canada, we have several different pensions we might draw on, but chances are, especially right now, they aren't enough to pay the bills. I think most developed countries have some sort of old age security. And I, quite honestly, I hope they earn more than older Canadians do. Um, and then there's a variety of private pensions, etc. My guest today is an American, and we'll speak to that model. But pay attention. The theory part is no doubt the same everywhere. And you might hear something worth investigating in your own country. Lisa Sakai, welcome to the Boomer Woman's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and just take away some of that uh, fear in money. I love I love the story you started with. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting how, and especially for boomer women, it, it's actually a taboo subject often. So, mm -hmm. you know, just yeah. the fact that bringing it out in the open, let's just do it. Now, you've reinvented yourself several times. How did you land on financial advising? Oh, that's a long story, but I'll make it short, I promise. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, it's funny, I, I did start in Hollywood. I grew up in uh, Southern California, I grew up in LA. And so I, I did start in Hollywood. And I enjoyed my time there, but you know, when you're young, you're just trying to find who you are. And I remember my kind of why I do what I do moment happened there. I was uh, working at a production office, very nice production, very nice owner, 
but I was getting his car detailed for the fourth time that week. He liked a really clean car and I worked really long hours. And I remember I sat back and thought, is this all, this is what I'm going to be doing, I guess. I mean, this is, this is where I'm putting my talents. And I thought, you know, I work really hard. I have a lot of passion for what I do. And is this the best that I can do? Am I really helping anybody? And it really struck me that I wasn't helping people the way they wanted to. And I thought if I'm going to work this hard and have this much passion and commitment for something, I want it to make a difference for people. And so I went from Hollywood to teaching, complete opposite. (laughs) And I taught third and fourth grade majority of the time, but, you know, many different grades for a while. I went to Japan and taught English for a year. And, you know, that was a wonderful experience as well. 2008 hit and it was a very insecure kind of area you know, education across the across the world. I, I I read actually that it was very hard to deal with. And so then I started looking for something else that I could contribute to. And they love teachers in the financial world because we talk in a way that people understand that we're able to break things down. Uh, I was at a, a speaking engagement the other week and one of the ladies like, you can draw pictures. And I said, yes, that's, that's what I can do is draw pictures to make people understand. She was funny. She was telling me how her advisor draws pictures for her and her wife. And so essentially that's, I kind of fell into it and it became my passion is helping people with money. And as you started off talking about, it's very emotionally charged. It's such an emotional topic, even though we think it's so analytical. It's really a very emotional journey with money. And that's the part I'm good at the strategy. I'm good at the numbers and that kind of stuff, but that's the part I really enjoy and working with people to get through their emotional, sometimes garbage, sometimes junk, sometimes good feelings, you know, whatever it is, there is emotion attached to it. And a lot of times those emotions are blocking us from making the right decisions for ourselves and we self-sabotage a lot. And so I just love doing that part of it. I've been doing it for 12 years now. So no more career changing after that. Two thoughts is when you were talking about your Hollywood experience is mm-hmm. in my day, it wasn't detail the car. It was, honey, can you get me a coffee? <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to do that too. <laughs> Starbucks was around then. <laughs> but also I think every teacher in our audience just sat up and went, ooh, ooh, a post-retirement career. <laughs> so yeah, you could definitely do that. Yeah, it's definitely, it was one of those things I went on. It was back when monster.com and, you know, all of those were still still the forefront of how you found a job. And a lot of them were, were looking for teachers, advertising, looking for teachers. Ah, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> New career choice at this age. That's great. Exactly. Now you call yourself the bucket list accelerator. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So what that means is I, when it comes to financial planning or financial advice in any capacity, there's two kind of myths that happen. One is, and this people have heard this one all the time, which is you have to have money to come talk to a financial planner or to talk to somebody who, who deals with advice and finance. That's not true. You don't. There's a lot of us who have multiple different ways people can work with us to fit within budgets, to fit within, you know, the time period you need, work project based, all that stuff. So that's not necessarily true. The other is that 
you have to wait to retirement. It's all about sacrificing now to get to the great retirement that we we all truly want, that you have to push off desire, you have to push off fun till we get to retirement. And that's not true either, because what happens is when you do that is two things can happen. One is that you don't know who you are as a person because you've been working all those years, you've identified with your job. You know, when people say, who are you? We often say what we do for work. We don't say, I'm a spontaneous person who loves to travel. We don't do that. We say, oh, I'm a financial advisor. I'm a you know financial consultant. So essentially, we don't really know who we are if we don't get to explore any of that before we retire, which can be very depressing. And we can go into extremes in that case. So some people go crazy and spend way too much money at the beginning of retirement. And other people go in a little hole and are so petrified of spending money. So they don't really actually get to enjoy retirement like they think they're going to. So I believe by knowing what you want and working through that, it's a constantly changing thing. Your bucket list is going to change all the time. But by kind of working on what do you truly want and starting to check off things and enjoying your life now, people think I'm I'm crazy because that's not what financial people do. We tell you to wait to retirement and save. I'm not telling you not to save. I'm just saying let's start enjoying our life now, it actually ends up helping you motivate yourself to continue to save for future things like retirement. Which that explanation probably explains why you also nodded when I was talking about that cartoon where every, everybody exactly. has different goals. Everybody, you know, we spend our money yeah. in our very own way. Um, you know, give, give uh, 10 people a thousand dollars and it'll all go in different directions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But the funny thing is I started doing this because everybody came to me and had the exact same goals, (laughs) which I knew wasn't true. Like everybody were completely different people. We're all very individualized. We have our own likes and dislikes and, and everybody would come in and say the same thing. I want to retire. I want to travel. I want to spend time with family And I might have a hobby or two I want to put some money into. And they were never big hobbies. It was stuff like paint, which is a lovely hobby. I'm not saying that that's not. But everybody had kind of the same vanilla answer. And when I'd push and say, where are we traveling to? Or what, you know, what are you doing with your grandkids? Or what? And people had not thought to the details because we're so regimented that this is what we're supposed to do rather than living the life you want to live in the detail, in the in the excitement that makes you excited. Because I don't know how many people have told me I want to travel and then, and it's always huge international travel. You know, I want to go to Europe. I want to go on a safari. I want to, you know, it's these big international things. And then they get to retirement and they're like, kind of don't want to do that now. And that's okay. It's okay, but they were kind of just saying they wanted to do these big trips because that's what we're supposed to say we're wanting to do, right? So is that because, you know, even we locals, we born in North America people, we hear about the the great American dream, the the great Canadian dream. Mm -hmm. And and so we buy in too, you know, without really thinking about, well, actually I'm a person, you know, my my nationality is just a detail. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think the thing is that we, we let other people's excitement kind of influence us. So if we have a friend that goes to Europe and just absolutely loves it, let's say they go to Germany and they just have this amazing time and they go to the uh, beer festival or whatever they end up doing over there, we go, oh, maybe I want to do, she had an amazing time. Maybe I want to do that too. And when you actually think about it, do you want to do that? And if you do, that's wonderful. But are we doing it because we're supposed to do stuff like that? Like there's a lot of influence that kind of comes into what we end up spending our money on. And people don't quite realize that. They don't quite realize how much influence other people are are having on you and where you're spending your money. And is that truly what you want to do? You know, and so that's that's the hard part. It really is because people it's hard to kind of figure out, is that what you want to do? Or is it do, are you doing it because other people are like, you should do it. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I've got a friend who loves cruising and, you know, she said, well, we should go on a cruise sometime. And I said, like, I have no interest in cruising. And she said, mm-hmm. have you ever tried it? And I said, no. She said, if you try it, you'll love it. And I said, people tell me the same thing about bungee jumping, and I'm not going to try that either. You know, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, we really have to. And as you were talking there, I was thinking too, like, if we pick up our favorite magazines, and especially now at this age, you know, oftentimes they're geared toward older people, is, you know, all those vacations, all those times with grandchildren, you know, the, the homes are gorgeous, and the, the trips are amazing. And every one of those people look about 50. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> so like, fire post 65, 70, 75. It's like, hey, you know, do I get to look like that if I go on that trip? But anyways, we buy exactly. into that. Whole, yeah, that this, is what, mm-hmm. this is what my uh, generation is doing. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I think we have to, I think you do, you do want to experience certain things and see if you want to do it. But I have some, it's kind of nice. It's refreshing. I have some um, clients who have just decided that's not what they want to do. I have one gentleman who all he does is go fishing and he loves it. That's what he wants to do. And his wife really doesn't have any need to go on, you know, go on vacation. And it's funny because he was telling me that his his uh, in-laws were kind of pressuring them. Like, don't you do it while you're young, go and the idea of like getting our passport all together and, and getting on a long, you know, trip and dealing with the flight and all that stuff. And he says, I'm not adventurous with food. So what am I going to eat there? Like he just was saying, it just was not appealing to them, but it's funny how we get sometimes like your friend, a little pressure because they're so excited about what they have done and they want you to share in that. But we're all so individual that I I was on a, another podcast yesterday and the lady was telling me, what if I just want to sit at home and have a glass of wine and watch Netflix? I get shamed for that. And I said, I know, <laughs> Look, but that might be her best life. That might be what she really wants to do. And there's no shame in that. That's what you should do. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, I, I know friends who their garden has never looked so fabulous and they're just so happy on their knees in the dirt you know and uh, yeah yeah really look at yourself and as you say no shame no shame and if you do want to take those big trips 
do it, but then you have to prepare for it. Right. So it's not stressful later on on how do I pay for this? Yeah. Now we talked about bucket list. What is bucket list planning and how do we put together that plan? Yeah. So bucket list planning typically starts when I start talking to clients, but of course people can do this on their own. It really is just asking yourself, what do you truly want? And it's not just, you know, what do I want to do? I want to travel. Okay. I put down travel. It's really digging into the details of what you want to do. Why do you want to go? Where do you want to go? When do you want to go? How long do you want to be there? What is it going to feel like? What are you going to do while you're there? What's the food you want to try when you're there? What's the experience you want to have? Do you want to bungee jump? Do you not want to get anywhere close to a bungee jump? You know, like you've got to really push into the details. It was funny. I was on a, I was hosting a webinar and one of the ladies was saying on the webinar that she wants to go to Greece. I said, well, tell me what that's going to feel like. And she paused and she said, you know, I've never said this out loud, but it's going to feel like I'm walking on the streets where the the old philosophers walked and I can feel that energy. I thought that was amazing. It was a very unique experience for herself because other I've been in Greece. I didn't feel that, but that wasn't something I was looking for. So I think it's got to really feel, you've got to feel connected to it. Otherwise, it's just going to be another thing that you put down And you kind of keep saying, I'm going to, I should, I really want to, and you don't do it. So you've got to really put down information that you want to do in details. And you don't have to, you can list all of your bucket list stuff out first if you wanted to without details and maybe focus on one and really detail that out. The first one you want to do because the details matter. It gets you excited. It gets you visualizing things. It gets you starting to want to take action on it. And that's what happens is that we have bucket list things that we want to do, but we never take action on it. And it's like, oh, I should do that. I'm going to go to Bali someday. I'm going to, well, let's make someday a reality. And by building that momentum up, with the details and the excitement and the visualization and doing some research and that kind of thing, it can really help bolster that. And then from there, you, you know, figure out how much it's going to be approximately. I always say go on the high end because you would rather have more money saved than you need than not. Then when you're putting together your saving plan, you, you put money towards that bucket list item. So if that's going to Bali let's say that's going to be $10,000 to go to Bali. You know that that's what you're going to do. You know that this is the timeline that you want to do it in. You know, obviously you have to be flexible because sometimes things like COVID happen or things (laughs) like that that you have to, you have to be flexible and, you know, go a little high on the budget and just start saying, if I'm going to save a thousand dollars a month, 250 of it is going to go to my bucket list plan or 500 or whatever works for you. If you, let's say you were paying off debt and now that debt's gone, maybe a big chunk of it can go to that because we're good on other aspects. So it's just, it's just a matter of figuring out what's best for you, but putting that in your savings plan, because let's say your goal is a thousand dollars a month and your goal is to put 250 of that in your bucket list plan. Well, maybe we don't hit that. Maybe we hit 500 this month because something happened, we didn't expect this charge, whatever it is. 
okay, that's fine. You're still going to put $100 to your bucket list item. Then next month, maybe it's $750 and maybe you're putting two, you know, 200 towards that or something like that. What it does is it keeps you consistent because you've got this thing that you really want to do attached to the other saving. And so by doing that, it keeps you motivated to keep saving, no matter if you hit your monthly goal or not, because it's better to put $25 away than it is to, you know, than it is to put zero for month after month and start feeling down on yourself. Would you recommend having several different saving type accounts then? So, you know, this is my travel account. This is my, with the grandchildren account. Mm -hmm. This is my rainy day account. Yes. Yeah, I do. I do recommend that within reason. You know, I had one lady that had like 12 accounts. That's too much. (laughs) That's too many accounts. You can't keep track of them. But I do think it's, it's better to segment in your mind instead of saying, I have this chunk of $30,000 in in a bank account and some of it's for this and it's hard to visualize that so i do think you should have your money in separate accounts all in one place i don't think you need to necessarily i know with banks and stuff people are really afraid of having money in one place you know and obviously i'm happy to chat with them about what's going on with that whole situation but you know as long as you're under the the um 250 limit here here in america um which is the which is what's um, insured, you should be fine. And so you just want to make sure that, you know, you have everything in one place because it makes it easier. If you make it too complicated, you're not going to do it. Right. And so having different accounts in the same place help because you open it up and you're like, wow, my Bali fund is at $2,000. And I, I didn't even realize it was that high. And it keeps you motivated because you just start to see everything going up in the same, you know, the same direction, which is what you want. I know at my bank, uh, like when I do my online banking, I can name the accounts. So, you know, that makes it nice and easy. Would you you also recommend then sort of an, within reason, an automatic transfer? Mm -hmm. I would for the most part. However, so I'm going to backtrack and I'll, (laughs) I'll kind of completely answer that in a second. I do think that there's two keys to financial independence, which is really what everybody wants. That time that you are no longer reliant on anything else. You can take care of yourself. The job could go away, everything, and you could make it work. You can make anything work because you are have the capability to do that. That's what everybody really truly wants, right? In order to get to financial independence, you kind of have to have two things. You have to have clarity and you have to have awareness. And so what I mean by that is awareness is being aware of what what money is coming in and what money is going out. Just being aware of it. You don't have to have this huge budget. If you're not going to keep it up, don't bother. <laughs> because it's, you know, like you go through hours of putting together a budget and then you never look at it again. That was such a waste of your time. But being aware of of kind of what you're spending money on, how much it's going out, have an idea of, you know, where things are going is really important. And clarity, which is kind of what we talked about, being clear of what you're saving for, why you're saving for it, how you're going to do it, having that strategy, being flexible with your strategy, not judging yourself if you don't necessarily hit that every single month, but just having that strategy of I'm going to keep moving the ball forward. Those two are really important to get to financial independence. Otherwise, 
it's very hard to accomplish that. And so when it comes to automatic savings, I think a lot of times we just put that on autopilot and we never look at it again. And I think that's a mistake because you're not aware. You're not really controlling money. Money is controlling you at that point. And so when you're putting in an automatic savings, I always say you need to make a date with yourself, whether that's once a quarter or once every three months, which is what that means for people who don't know what that means, or once a month or every three weeks or whatever that is. And you should habit stack that onto something that you're already going to do. So, you know, I have clients who every Thursday morning while they're drinking their coffee, they look at their credit card statements. Like that's, that's something they're already going to be sitting at the kitchen table. You might as well bring your iPad out and take a look at it as well. That's what they've decided to do, but you've got to keep an appointment with yourself to be aware of what's going on because mistakes happen. Maybe it's been pulling out too much. Maybe it's not been pulling out what you want. And if you aren't actively looking at it, then how do you challenge yourself to do better? too. It's, it's, you know, it's about growth, right? It's not just the growth of amount, but it's about really growing your emotional relationship with money, feeling like you're in control of it. And you can't challenge yourself to do more if you don't ever look at it. I'm going to go back just for a moment and touch on Mm -hmm. that habit stacking for anybody who hasn't heard the Mm -hmm. term. These people are having their coffee instead of reading the newspaper that particular morning, they're going to go and check that. Um, I have another friend who likes to work on her balance because as we get older, that's important. So she's brushing her teeth, Mm -hmm. standing at the sink. She balances on one like that. So I do the same thing. I totally do the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's habit stacking. Now, the other thing that uh, it occurred to me as you were explaining, you know, I I would rather lose track of what's going into savings. This whole tap mentality now, Mm-hmm. What and it's it's gotten. I was well. I used to joke that I was a tap virgin until COVID hit. <laughs> um, but do people find that or your clients that you speak with, do they find that suddenly like the money just disappears because it's just so easy to tap? Or recently, I've been seeing it people is. with their watch or whatever that thing is on their, their oh, arm. Yeah, exactly. It is. I mean, I think there's two ways to combat. I mean, I'm very guilty of this. Too. I mean, Amazon's my downfall, right? I mean, I just, you know, you're like, oh, it's $20. I could, you know, you do. <laughs> we all do that, you know? So uh, my husband would say, I'm definitely the spender in the family, which surprises people, but I am. <laughs> so, but I think in many respects, it's about creating some habits to keep things in check. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to spend a little extra here and there. But trying to keep that in check, like um, one thing I hear a lot on, and there are more boomers moving to Instagram, so I think this is relevant. Instagram is really notorious for having tons of different ads just in your face all the time. They mix them in with the videos. they make, And so you're constantly looking be like, oh, maybe I should buy that. That's exactly what I was looking at it on Amazon. That's the same pro, you know, so it comes up a lot and it's so easy to tap on it. It's our infomercials. You know, you have to wait until like midnight to see infomercials before. Now you just get to tap it and be like, oh, it's only $30. I'll buy that. So you're not only doing the Amazon stuff, but you're purchasing things on impulse in this state where you're looking at friends, family, entertainment, whatever. So it's this kind of blissful state 
in your in your buying stuff. And so my rule for myself is that I don't buy anything off of those websites. I will forward it to myself. So there's always a share button. You share it and you forward it and you email it to yourself because you're not going to go to your email right away. You're going to stay on that platform. So I will not buy it on there. And then you have this whole list of emails and you're like, what the heck was I doing? And half the time I just delete them all because I don't have time to go through all that stuff. If I delete it and I'm not thinking about it, did I really want it in the first place? Probably not. But I don't like the fact that if I really want it, I couldn't find it again. That's why we buy it. Because we're like, what if I never see this again? (laughs) Which is ridiculous, but that's what we think. So I would say that's a really good habit to build into our daily things. Same thing with Amazon. I try to put things into the save you know, you put it into the cart and then you hit save for later and you can always find the product again. And it's not that impulse buy. And I, how many times have I not bought that thing after I was like, Oh, I really need to have this or that. And I don't buy it because it's in the safe, but I don't feel like I lost it forever either. Um, so that's one way to control some of that on that whole Instagram thing. I, it's meta I'm sure, because I just Mm -hmm. recently, I made a post on my Facebook And I said, I scrolled for, I don't know how many miles (laughs) and I saw maybe two or three people of my friends and contacts, everything else Mm -hmm. was either sponsored or suggested for you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the first thing I do now. Something looks interesting. I look and see, oh, it's sponsored. Keep on going. (laughs) And if you just pause in your, in your scroll, something, it will just generate just tons more stuff on there. You know, you look at one product and you've got like five other things that do similar things showing up on your, on your feed. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, That's a whole rabbit hole we could go into. Yeah. Okay. Just to go into sort of what you do now, Mm -hmm. I saw the word fiduciary. Mm -hmm. So, so what does that mean? So fiduciaries are basically, we are, we are working in benefit of you. So meaning that I don't have a product I'm trying to sell people that's, that gives me an extra incentive. Nothing's going to, I'm not going to win a trip because I said, because I, I provided this or that, right? And essentially fiduciaries are really looking out for the client's best interest. So when you're a fiduciary, our obligation is to put the client's interest in their well-being first before us. And I think it's really important to, just as a distinction, a lot of times the fiduciary is really attached to investing. That's where it's where it's really seen a lot. You might not necessarily, if you're just, engaging in somebody to give you advice, let's say, let's say you're just having them build a plan or doing, and there's really no product involved with it. That's not really a fiduciary situation sometimes because that's just advice. Like my telling you this or that doesn't, I I don't benefit either way because there's no product attached to it. So a lot of times the fiduciary tag goes on investing sides of this or, you know, insurance base or something that has some kind of product attached to it, because there's some way I could benefit from something if you bought this over this kind of thing. So, but it's important to look for fiduciary matters. And I think it's really important to not just look for if somebody is a fiduciary, but to find if that person is speaking your language, if you understand them, 
if you enjoy talking to them, if they are there for you when you need them, because we are around for, I've, I've had some clients I've had for 12 years for the entire time that I've been working. And I have been there during really tough times, loved ones passing, you know, foreclosures, losing things, health issues that all comes up. And during those times, you are, have these foggy moments that you're not thinking clearly because everything's coming at you at once. If you can't understand what I'm saying to you and what strategy we're working on and how we work together during good times, it's really going to be bad during those times because you're not yourself. And so I really think it's important to find somebody who you connect to, who you understand what they're doing. You have faith and trust in them, but you're not handing everything over to them, meaning you are still an active participant in the whole thing. And you have no problem saying, I don't understand what you're saying. Could you explain it a different way? And that's really, I would say even more important than the fiduciary status. Yes, that's important, but I think that that relationship is really the most important thing to be looking for. I have a friend who's a financial advisor and she discusses exactly that. And and she says mm-hmm. that too many women, especially, sort of think that, you know, it, it's them that doesn't understand. Whereas it yeah. could well be that the person they're sitting across the desk from is, you yeah. know, just feeling it out and not really thinking about the individual and it's okay to Mm -hmm. say this relationship will not work thank you for your time and go find somebody exactly that you can communicate with and that you understand exactly there is a huge statistic that many women move on once their spouse especially if their spouse was a male um once their spouse passes they tend to move their money to somebody else because the relationship never felt comfortable with them, with the with the advisor that their spouse connected to. And I think that just shows, one, that we at, as advisors are failing. We need to be talking to both spouses equally um, and making them both feel comfortable because you just never know when you're going to be talking to one and not the other one because of, you know, one thing that happens in life is we do pass on. The other thing is, is that it just shows that women, I love that they're taking back their power in that time because this is their decision. It's their money and it's money that they built together with their spouse and they want to make sure they're making the right choices and they should be working with people who are, who are talking to them in a language that they understand and that they trust. And I always say, I have lots of female clients being a female advisor and a lot of times some of them will say, oh, I just trust you do what you want. You you do it. I don't understand, but you do it. That's like a, heart, a knife in my heart. I can't stand that because you don't have to understand everything. I get it. It's complicated, but don't hand over that responsibility. You need to take some ownership in it. And if you don't understand it, I want you to listen and let's try to figure out how you can understand it, at least a part of it, because it's it's your money. And you just, maybe I win the lottery and I'm off on a, you know, know, an island by myself and I don't want to necessarily talk to people or do this anymore. How are you going to explain to the next guy what you were doing if you have no idea what we were doing? And you just said, Lisa, will take care of it. She's wonderful. No, you can't do that. 
I've got to own it here that I glaze over when my financial advisor starts talking to me and I, I watch and she sends me everything so I can bring it up on my monitor. And, and she's great in terms of bringing it down to the most basic level. And, and I do understand way more because she has done that. So I, <laughs> I don't mean to put a knife in your heart. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it's not the most it is to us that yeah. do it, but it's not the most fascinating thing in the world. It's very uncomfortable. I don't care how long you've been doing this. It's just very uncomfortable to do it. And I think give yourself some grace. You're going to, you're going to glaze over a little bit in some areas and that's okay. But as long as you understand the rationale of what we're doing, kind of the strategy that we're putting in place, why we're putting it in place and you agree with it. You don't just do something because somebody tells you to do it. That's that's the thing that I get a little worried about is that people are people just doing it because they said, oh, I like Lisa and she said I should do this. So therefore I'll do it. Now, you know, I want them to have some ownership in what we're what we're doing. I always try to explain why I'm doing something, get their, you know, approval and and you know, I don't ever know for sure that they're not just kind of going, yeah, I understand it. And they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, it's important to at least have that conversation. I think too, talking to you at this age is, I don't know what it's like in the US, but up here, for example, you know, if my advisor says, you know, like, this is what I'm suggesting. And, you know, one of the reasons being you have to have the money out of that account by age 71. And we want mm-hmm. to, you know, like, deflect as much tax hit as we can you know so even those sorts of things it's like okay don't fully understand but I understand the concept and the end goal and the why so yeah yeah it's true I it was funny I was talking to my clients and he was funny he said you know when I was working it was so much easier I just put it in my retirement account and I just kept adding and it was just easy I just put it in my retirement account I just kept adding he says now in retirement I have to think about tax consequence and length of time that it's been held and all this he says very hard to figure this stuff out I said yeah it really does get more complicated because you just had for most retirement accounts, you just have tax deferral. Yeah. That's all you have to worry about when you're putting it away. And now when you're taking it out, you have to consider what withholdings do I want to have and what, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that goes along with with taking money out that is very complicated. And so it is, it is, it's a lot to think about. And there's so many rules. Like in America, we have this required minimum distribution. So it sounds very similar to what you guys go through, which is we don't have to have the account emptied by that point, but we have to start taking money from accounts um, that were tax deferred, typically 401ks and things like that. And it it can cause some problems because you might not need that much money, but you're being forced to take it because they want the tax on it. Uh, so it's, it can make things very complicated and it affects Medicare and Medicare taxes and other things like that, that people have no idea that they can correlate to each other. So it it can cause a huge, huge issue if you're not kind of thinking about tax and it's very complicated. It is. Well, and if any of the listeners are in fact Canadian out there right now, I'm just going to mention the TFSA. It's a tax-free savings account. And just, I know my mm-hmm. advisor, as she takes one uh, money out of one account, she maxes out my TFSA every year just to, you yeah. know, because then when I yeah. do take it out of there, it won't, it won't be taxed. So, 
Exactly. And I think in some respects to the, um, we have, we have a Roth IRA that, that is our equivalent Roth IRA, Roth 401k, um, which is equivalent to that. And it's the same thing. Yeah. I would definitely, definitely consider thinking about, we're so excited about tax deferral, but you've got to think about when you're taking it out too. So I think after tax accounts can be very useful to diversify how taxes are going to be done in retirement. Now, we both have a social security kind of thing and I'm not a hundred percent. I did try to do some research on the American one. I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent clear, but you also have the 401ks. We have the mm-hmm. RRSPs retirement uh, savings mm-hmm. plans. Yes. If we max those out, is, is that enough or do you suggest other things as well? It depends. It, depends. <laughs> it really depends on what you need. Right. So if you're, um, so if you're putting in, you know, maxing out your retirement accounts wherever wherever you are, that could be enough. It could not be enough because it depends on how much you need to live off of later on in life. And we always think and have been told, which I think is a fallacy, that all your expenses are going to go down in retirement. And that's not necessarily true because A, a lot of people want to retire earlier than the traditional 76, 70, 70, you know, or not 76, I'm sorry, 67, 70 kind of range. And they want to retire at 60. They want to start another career or they want to do something else. They want to be able to retire and be able to do something more fun at, at 55, 60. And it makes a big difference on just a lot of different things because are you going to be able to access those accounts? Are you not? How much tax is going to be associated with that? You know, there's just a lot of different things that go on. So I would say uh, also inheritance comes into play sometimes because if you're inheriting uh, parents' accounts that have passed on, how are those taxes going to affect you? Because if they're tax-deferred accounts, at least down in, down here in, in uh, the U.S., if they're tax deferred accounts, you're being forced to take that money out within a 10 year time period most of the time. So that could make your your income come up significantly. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that could affect taxes and other things. So if you max that out, you're probably in a good path. Uh, but you just want to make sure you get an analysis done to see to see if that's that's the right right you know move a should you max it out or maybe you should diversify where you're putting money into to other things um and b you know how much do you really need to save in order to live you know your lifestyle and i always say go high on the expenses you think you're going to have everybody tends to downplay it and i would much rather have too much money in retirement than not enough because that's the biggest fear is that we're going to run out of money right so um so i would go high on expenses if you spend less, then you're just extra happy and secure. <laughs> I'm going to throw in one little story here just because we are cross-border. Sure. I have recently become aware of a an older woman who's selling her home. She's an American living up here. Oh. And when she sells her home, apparently she does need to pay the U.S. government this quite high capital mm-hmm. gains. And mm-hmm. I was just shocked that, you know, having lived up here for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years, that this mm-hmm. was 
you know, something to look at. And I think it's just all those little things that you've got to be so aware of, you know, where you yeah. live, the rules where you live, if you live in another country, you know, like, how does that cross borders? Exactly. Yeah, for us in America, it's even across state lines. I mean, a California tax is totally different than an Arizona tax. Yeah. Is to, And are you still paying California tax when you live in Arizona? Possibly. Because you might have property there. You might have a business there. You might have income coming from California. It it can it can be very complicated, and so I the house thing triggers. My dad um, sold their house, and he's always been pretty good at finance. But I don't think he realized how much tax he was going to be paying. I mean, he bought our house in 1984, and they sold it. Oh gosh, about ten years ago. So that's quite a long time for it to have grown appreciated in value, and. Uh, and he was so angry. And I said, well, maybe you should have looked at that before. <laughs> so it okay. doesn't mean you don't sell, but be, you know, be prepared. Just, I'm going to have you just repeat. It glitched there. Yeah. So okay. he was not aware of, and it glitched. Mm-hmm. No, so he, yeah. Oh, so he wasn't aware of the amount of tax he was going to have to pay on the growth of the house. And like I said, he bought it in 1984. So it had grown quite a bit. I mean, it was over 20, I think it was 26 years, 28 years that they had owned that house. So it's a huge tax bill he had to pay. And uh, it just, it would have been nice if he had been better prepared. He probably would have still sold the house, but it would have been nice for him to be better prepared on understanding that. Because the thing is, is that we do rely on our tax people to help us with that. And that's another relationship that you've got to really look at, like how much are they preparing you for uh, for what you're going to be paying? How much strategy are they looking at or helping you with? Are they talking to you? Are you giving them the information that you should be giving them to get those answers? Because they're not mind readers. They didn't know he was going to sell the house. Um, so that's another relationship that can be really crucial in making these decisions. So, and a lot of times I think we just assume that, oh, there's nothing we can do about it, or they don't want to talk to us, or I might have to pay them money if I come out and talk to them. It's probably better to pay the hundred dollars that they're going to charge you for talking to them for an hour than to pay, you know, a million dollars in taxes that you are not expecting to have to pay, things like that. And I I don't know where the number comes in, but the one number I did hear bandied about with the story I told you was 20%. And so if anybody out there is going like, oh, yeah, whatever. So I have to pay a bit of tax. 20% 20%. is that's a chunk if that's accurate. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because it's probably, she probably had a lot of growth because the typical, most of us are in that 15%, which is still pretty high. Um, But obviously the growth (laughs) income and all that stuff pushed her up to the next level, which people don't realize that can happen quite easily. It can get triggered very easily. If anybody's looking at, at paying and in a situation where they do pay capital gains, which we do pay capital gains up here on a secondary residence, mm-hmm. oh, okay. is, you, you know, like our, our properties have probably increased in value drastically in the last five to eight to 10 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just really being aware of, of that whole yeah. Bit. Exactly. Nobody likes a surprise. (laughs) So (laughs) especially a surprise like that. Yeah, exactly. And so I would say um, being prepared, just keeping in the back of your head, 
to being pro, we don't, none of us want to do this. Nobody wants to go and Google and like figure out if there's going to be capital gains on your house or if there's going to be any of that kind of stuff. And the thing is that just think about, are you controlling your money or is money controlling you? If you kind of keep thinking in that way, you'll take the extra five minutes to call your financial consultant or to look on the internet or call your tax person because it's about how do I control my money and how can I control the situation as easily as possible because money and stress go right hand in hand. And if you are not prepared, your stress level is going to be off. Your health is going to suffer from it. It, it just it's better to try to have that idea of how do I control my money so I can use it the way I want to. Now, one thing I do want to just stop and clarify is, is there a difference between a financial planner, a consultant, an advisor? Not really. There's so here, like there's a CFP, which I'm I'm actually in the middle of working on, so certified financial planner. So technically, if you're called a financial planner, um, you are supposed to have that designation. It kind of you know is one of those rules that you're supposed to have, but you're not. It not everybody abides by that. I go by financial consultant because I feel like it's it changes the relationship I have with clients. I want to be their consultant. I want to be hand in hand with them. I want them calling me saying we're buying a car. Which loan should we look at? Should I pay for cash for this? Like what you know what should we be looking at? I want them to call me for that stuff. A financial advisor is kind of just thrown around. <laughs> There's no okay. like, I I mean, there are insurance agents that don't have their, their investment licenses and stuff that are calling themselves financial advisors. And I would say that that's incorrect because if they're only doing insurance, there's only one thing that they're doing. They're not really giving full financial advice in that case. So um, not to say anything bad about insurance people, but I don't think that that title works, but a lot of them do call themselves like financial representatives, financial advisors, that kind of thing. Um, So I do think having a conversation when you're interviewing somebody about like what their title is and why they call themselves that and what's the breadth of their, their relationship with you, what could you be expecting in that relationship is really important. And I'm actually surprised how few people actually ask me like, what, what will our experience be like? How much should I be hearing from you? How much do you need to talk to me? Like, what is, nobody really asks me that, which I find really interesting. So I end up just imposing that (laughs) because I think people need to know that, yes, I, I need to talk to you at least once a year. I don't, I know you might not want to talk to me, especially after last year in the markets (laughs) and stuff, but I do need to have a conversation with you once a year. Um, things like that is, is really important to have when you're, when you're chatting with somebody and deciding if you want to work with them. Lisa, I do want to backtrack also, um, before we move on too far, you were talking about older couples and, you know, so suddenly perhaps the man's been taking care of it and the woman changes to somebody she's more comfortable with. Could Mm -hmm. you just really quickly address that woman who is 70 to 80 and has let her husband take care of everything. So she basically knows nothing about what's going on. He's still alive, fortunately, but she needs to to learn what's going on. Yeah, I will use personal examples from this because my mother will self-admit that she doesn't know anything about their financial situation and has no interest in it. And my dad has taken care of everything. And actually it kind of is funny because I 
when I got into this world, I didn't understand finance at all because my dad assumed I was going to be exactly the same way. And so I remember trying to have conversations with him about this and he's like, you don't, you don't really care. So don't worry about it kind of thing. And I think he regrets that now, but, um, especially since I help them with their financial (laughs) stuff now. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is that if you just let your spouse, there's two things that can happen, right? If you just let your spouse make the decisions for you, if something happens to them, you're left kind of in the lurch. Like you don't know what's going on. You're very vulnerable because with my mom, I'm her daughter. Like I will take care of her. I don't have any vendetta against <laughs> my mom. So I'm going to take care of her. So she's very lucky in that respect. However, I would be very nervous if I was, you know, some other career. Who is this person? Are they going to do the right thing for her? Especially if she moves away from the the one that they've been working with, which she should. She should if she doesn't understand him, she doesn't feel connected, like she feels she, like she's being ignored. I totally understand doing that. But now you're moving to somebody else and now you're really worried as a child, What what's happening? Are they taking care of you? Are they just saying things and do they have your best interest in mind? And so it's it really puts you in a very vulnerable situation. The other thing is, is that at, I've been married for 14 years almost. Do you really want to have that kind of a relationship? That's, I mean, I know that that kind of digs deep a little bit, but for me, we started off like that. Like my husband asked me, what should we do with this? And I was so embarrassed. I didn't understand what he was talking about. Instead of saying, I don't understand this. Could you please explain to me what you're talking about? I just told them I don't want to be involved basically. And I could tell that that really bothered him. And it probably bothers your spouse. (laughs) They just don't say it. It probably does bother them that you don't want to be involved in this because it puts a lot of burden on them to make decisions for both of you. And I can tell you, since I've been in this industry and since we have that relationship, I don't just shut him out and say, I'm making these decisions for us because I'm the financial person in the family. We do it together. And it helps you understand your spouse so much better when you do this with them. And I can, like I said, I can say that from personal experience and it takes that burden off of one of you for doing it. And, and if something happens, my husband and I were just talking about this for, with my parents, we need to have a conversation with my dad, because if something gets to the point that he's not able to do their bills, are we taking that responsibility over who's paying the bills? How are we making sure credit card payments are being done and this and that? Like, that's a whole conversation. So we're not just talking about big financial stuff. We're just talking about how do we make sure that the lights stay on? And it can just be it money. I hate to say it, but money makes the world go round. We have to have money and it has to be paid out for certain things in life. Like you said, food and shelter. And how do we make sure that those necessities are still being taken care of? It's, it's difficult if you're not involved. And I know I go through a whole thing with clients with, I talk on this about money mindset and women with money mindset, because I was very afraid of money before I started this industry, very afraid of it. And you have to, you just have to face it and have to 
risk feeling stupid from time to time because that's what I felt. I felt stupid and I didn't want to feel stupid. I was highly educated. There was no reason I should feel stupid, but you have to go through the, I feel stupid moments to get to that point where you're actually able to educate yourself, able to have that conversation and able to participate actively in, in my opinion, in your marriage. Well, I understand that finance is, is one of the biggest causes, the largest causes of divorce, mm-hmm. you know, so that's sort yeah. of says, says exactly. Yeah, of I didn't even touch on that. Yeah. The gray haired <laughs> divorce rates are up, yeah. you know, that's what they call call them. And that's another thing is that how do you know what you're fighting for? If you have it, you've spent 40 years with this man, you have no idea in finances. How do you know what's fair? How do you know what you should be getting from it? You've taken no initiative to be a part of those conversations. He doesn't like you so much now. (laughs) Is he going to be protecting you? Probably not. So I just lots of different things like that, that it's just, it just puts you very vulnerable situation. Okay. Let's go back to Lisa. Okay. (laughs) What, what do you do for clients? Um, okay. So how I work with clients is a little different than, than other people do. I, we started our firm about two and a half years ago. I was at another firm, which is wonderful experience. And I was very happy there, but we started it mainly because we wanted to be able to come and work with clients the way they wanted to be worked with. So some, if you go to some advisors, they will only work with you if you have money for them to manage and they have a certain limit, you know, the, the minimum that you have to have to work with them. Um, I wanted to be able to work with people where they were. So essentially you could come to us and say, I have a project that I need help on. Could I hire you for X amount of hours? Um, I have money I need help managing. Could you do that? And we do the traditional assets under management side of things. I want a plan built. Can we do that? And we put together a planning fee. I have monthly consultations for people who are just trying to get things rebuilt and they want to talk monthly to, to keep them on track for what they're trying to do. I have, there's just lots of different ways that we can work with people. Um, and so essentially my job is to sit and talk to you and see if I feel like we're the right fit, that I feel like I can help you, that I feel like you're, you know, the right type of client I'm trying to work with, which is typically a client that's open-minded, that's not, you know, that isn't demanding certain things have to be done because as a fiduciary, it is my job to say, yeah, you might want that, but that's not the right thing for you. And I don't necessarily want to be having that argument every <laughs> single month I talk to you if if we just don't see a line, which is okay. But I'm interviewing clients as much as they are interviewing me. And so we sit and we talk about how the best way to work together is. How I work with investments, I tend to be a little bit more of a passive investor. Doesn't mean it's all indexes, but I do believe in, you know, we we do the due diligence and the conversation first and make sure we've got you in the risk risk model that works best for you. And we find, you know, we find the right investments for you. And we don't sit there and day trade stuff. That's not, I'm not there to try to, try to (laughs) put a bunch of, you know, to find the new Tesla. Like that's not what we're trying to do. Well, a lot of times people are coming to us with their long-term savings and want, you know, ultimate small, you know, they want the tortoise. They don't necessarily want the hair. And that tends to be our client. Um, so it, I guess how we work with clients is it depends on what that relationship looks like, what, you know, what kind of engagement we have and 
then I try to be as proactive as possible. I send out emails uh, at least twice a twice a week through our through our channel on that. But I send out personal emails as well with and videos talking about things like when the Ukraine wars, you know, came came about. I did a whole video on that. I sent it out the the day after the whole thing started because I know that that's at the top of their minds and they're wondering how is this going to affect me? What should we be prepared for? And of course, half the time I'm saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but I want them to know that I'm aware that things are going on because a lot of times as advisors, we kind of want to hide from it. And instead of tackling it on, you know, like um, we had the debt ceiling thing that just was going on in America, chances of it happening was going to be very small, but there were all these articles coming, scare articles coming out, talking about all the calamity that's going to happen. And I just, you know, did research, found some articles that were a little bit more realistic on what was, you know, what the chances were, what I sent that out. And I said, I want to have a discussion with you. If you guys want to have discussions about it, most of my clients were like, we're fine. We don't need to, but I want to make sure that People know that I am aware of what's happening in the world. I am paying attention. And I understand that those moments like the Ukraine war, like the markets last year, things like that, those are emotional triggers of, oh my gosh, should I be making a change? 99% of the time, it's going to be no, you shouldn't make a change. This is something that we'll get through. We've done this. We were prepared for things to happen. But there is that 1% of the time that there is a change that should happen. And I want to make sure that they realize that I'm aware of what's happening and that I'm not hiding in that world. So that's that's kind of my um, mission when I work with clients is to make sure that they know that I'm I'm pretty active in, in what's going on and understanding that those moments are going to be triggering moments and I'm there to to walk them through through those times. Good. Now, before we clicked record on this uh, this conversation, um, we talked about licensing. Can you address that? Because mm-hmm. I understand yeah. ad- advisors or planners, whatever, are licensed for certain areas. Yeah, exactly. So um, I've, I'm able to work across the United States. And I do know, I, I talked to our compliance because I had a prospect that was in Canada. I actually am able to help Canadians as well. And so because I do know the American system or the U.S. system, I should say, you know, a little bit better. I do have some resources that used to be financial advisors up there and are now um, money mindset coaches. I am happy to reach out to and make sure that I'm not, you know, giving advice on something I don't understand or things like that. So I feel very confident in being able to provide services there. Europe and other parts of the country we just have to see if that would work. Europe is tricky because they have some regulation over there uh, that makes it difficult for us to work with um, people who are in, even American citizens who are in Europe. It, it makes it difficult to do, but it just would be, you know, if somebody's interested, just reach out and we'll figure it out. And if I can't help, maybe we can find somebody that can, that's that's in the same vein of what I do. Okay, good. Um, is there anything we haven't talked about that you think mid-age women should be thinking about? I mean, some of them are uh, considering retirement. Yeah, exactly. I think the biggest thing is, I I really do think as women, we tend to, in general, we tend to um, put everybody else before ourselves. And a lot of, you know, the younger boomers are doing, you know, that sandwich generation thing that's going on. Some of the older boomers are 
in retirement or settling into retirement. And we still are always putting other people ahead of ourselves. And I really think the biggest thing that I can tell you is that money is a is self-care. And if you can use money to make sure that you're doing the right thing for you, you will do much better that way. When we make mistakes is when we're doing things for other people too much and not prioritizing ourselves in our situation. Uh, because that's when we, that's when the mistakes actually are made. When we do a certain investment because our friend told us to do it or our son came and told us to do it. And that might be a great investment for him, but you've got to look at yourself and go, is that the right investment for me and what I'm trying to accomplish? And so we get swayed a lot. And that's why we don't like dealing with money because we it's so emotional. It's like, oh, but I don't want to tell him I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt his feelings. He's such a good kid. Yeah, but, <laughs> and he's not trying to hurt you, but it's just, you know, we come at things from our own perspective, like going way back to your friend who said cruising is amazing. You should do. That's her perspective. That might not be your perspective. And you have to come at it from your perspective and your your self-care essentially. So that's the biggest thing that I, I hope women can take away from this is that money, money has to be personalized. And if you don't feel like that's the right thing for you, you're probably right. And don't do it. There you go. Period. <laughs> May I ask you a personal <laughs> question? Absolutely. One of your profile pictures had boxing gloves in it. Yeah. I love kickboxing. It's a great stress relief. (laughs) (laughs) So I just love, I love bringing in personal things because I think for some reason, the financial industry has gotten very institutionalized and it's not personalized anymore. And we as advisors act like we have to, you know, we wear the suit and we have to be all, you know, professional. We can't bring our personalities into stuff. And I, I think that's wrong. I think people want to know who are, who we are as people. That's how they can judge if they like us or not. And so I try to bring personality out. So yeah, I, I do. I love kickboxing. I do it a couple times a week at least. And it just helps with stress release and it helps me feel empowered. And so I put that out there because there are some other women that probably like kickboxing as well. And hopefully they find that as something that they can relate too. But that's one of my loves. And I tell stories about how I've incorporated yoga and, you know, like I, I do that all the time. So we actually have a YouTube channel. And if anybody's interested, I often will take a subject matter I'm talking about and try to relate it to something that I was listening to or something that I did or something personal, uh, because I think that that's the best way for us to understand money and to understand how we can get a better relationship with money. Okay, good. <laughs> it was funny because yeah. I'm looking at you at the pictures and I went, oh, wait a minute, there's boxing gloves in there. I got to ask that question. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's funny. I had the best photographer, uh, Trisha Turpinoff. She's amazing. And she she was telling me, bring some stuff so that when we're doing the photography uh, that you feel like it's really personal. And so I bought my boxing gloves. And so that was one of the pictures that we took was me holding boxing gloves. <laughs> I looked I looked disheveled because I'd been punching <laughs> stuff fair. for pictures. So it was perfect. It was yeah. actually perfect because we don't look perfect when we've done kickboxing. We really don't. <laughs> oh, dear. Where do we find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah. So it's our website is onevisionretire.com. Um, and we have a resources page that has tons of different things going back to the habit stacking and stuff. There's a piece called Baby Step Your Way to Financial Independence 
that are some of those little habits you can put into place to help you get, you know, closer to really educating yourself and, and feeling more confident about money. Um, there, we have a YouTube channel that people are happy to, to, you know, have, happy to have them take a look at. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So okay. feel free to find me there. Okay. Now then just, <laughs> I, I had mentioned here that you have a partner who deals with business owners. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, he does. So, yeah. So he's more, I'm more in the personal planning and he does more business planning. Okay. Just because we don't know for sure who's out there in our audience. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So website is in the show notes and all of your links will be on your page at our website. Listeners. Thank you so much. If you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. And share this episode. Most of us are in the same boat with retirement in the crosshairs or in the recent rear view. Just yesterday, my brother made the comment that he only misses his old job every second Friday. Once the paychecks stop, life can look different. The more we can do to share the facts and the education, the better. Lisa Sakai. Thank you so much for being my guest today and spurring us on to financial plot. What is it? Financial planning action. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've been, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week. You too.